it's there in the Bibles in the pews, uh, page 1077. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they know me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Just going to read again a couple of those verses. Verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us uh, today, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that you would inspire us, that we would hear the voice of the shepherd and that we would follow more closely. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've uh, been around church for any length of time, you've heard about sheep and about shepherds. Uh, The culture of Jesus' day understood shepherds and sheep well. Jesus' birth was announced by angels to shepherds on the hillside. He commonly used shepherding as a metaphor in his teaching. He said he sent, sent his disciples out as sheep among wolves. When he wanted to tell a story of God's love, he spoke of a shepherd looking for the lost sheep. The Old Testament is full of uh, stories of God acting as a shepherd, guiding and leading and protecting his people. Some words from Isaiah chapter 40. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them. Now, of course, not all shepherds are good. And not all leaders are worthy of their followers' obedience. The people of Israel knew full well what it meant to be led by unworthy leaders. Those who ruled not for the good of their people, but for their own benefit. And these they called false shepherds, shepherds who were not worthy of the name. This distinction between worthy rulers and good rulers, uh, honourable shepherds and false shepherds, would have a special resonance 
on the day in which Jesus speaks these words to his followers. Let me take you back to the beginning of our reading, verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, How long, Lord, will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. It was the festival of dedication in Jerusalem. Um, That festival is still celebrated today. Annually, Jews will uh, gather together in family groups and in the synagogue, and they will celebrate the festival of dedication. We know it more commonly as Hanukkah, or the festival of lights. usually occurs um, around New Year. And its significance lies in its origins. The festival of Hanukkah goes uh, back to the time between the Old and the New Testament. Those 400 years between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament with the birth of Jesus. 332, Alexander the Great uh, conquered what we know of as the Middle East. And he assimilated it into his Greek empire. Different countries, different cultures, uh, different tribes, different uh, nations, all conquered by one great Greek army, all assimilated into one great empire. And Jerusalem and Israel was no different. They suffered the same fate. If you read the biography of Alexander, I've read the popular version, not the full thing, but I've read the popular version, uh, you hear the account of him riding into Jerusalem after it has been uh, conquered. And he meets with the high priest. And he tells the high priest, as he has conquered Jerusalem, and as the temple is the place of worship and the grandest uh, uh, religious monument in the city, that the high priest is to put up a statue of Alexander the Great in the midst of the temple. And that the people are to pay him homage and worship as their earthly ruler. Now at that time, the high priest was a, a canny man. And he suggested perhaps a more fitting uh, tribute to Alexander. Rather than setting up a a statue in the temple, uh, perhaps a a living tribute, a living way of honouring Alexander would be more appropriate. What if for one year all the boys who were born in Jerusalem took on a new name? A name in honour of their great conqueror. What if rather than setting up a statue in a temple... What if the firstborn were all to be called Alexander in honour of the great conqueror? Well, this appealed to Alexander's pride and his ego and disaster was averted. Uh, No temple, no uh, statue was set up in the temple, but instead all the firstborn boys were named Alexander for a year. Which might have been complicated at school registration, but I'm sure they found a way through it uh, somehow. Well, the priests that follow were not as wise and discerning as that good shepherd. Increasingly, they became corrupted. Increasingly, the the struggle to uh, maintain a Jewish way of life and a Jewish faith and a Jewish culture uh, was lost. The Jewish faith, the Jewish customs which supported and buttressed that faith were slowly eroded. 
Eventually, the Jewish scriptures had to be translated into Greek for the Jews who could no longer read Hebrew. The priesthood became corrupted. The worship in the temple fell into abeyance. Greek governors asserted their dominance over Jewish faith and culture. Things came to a head in 150 BC, 150 years before Jesus. Greek soldiers entered into the temple and desecrated it with pig's blood. A pagan idol was erected before the altar. The scriptures were burnt and circumcision was outlawed. There was an attempt to eradicate the Jewish faith and culture once for all and fully assimilate the Jews into the Greek empire. Unsurprisingly, war erupted. There was a rebellion, a twofold rebellion, a rebellion of Jews against Greeks, a civil war between those Jews who'd become Hellenized or Greekified, if you like, and those Jews who'd remained faithful to their culture and their heritage. Judas Maccabees was the leader of the revolt, and at a key moment, he recaptured the temple. The idols were removed, the temple was cleaned up, worship was restored, and the temple was rededicated. The festival of Hanukkah celebrates that rededication, celebrates the success of the Judean Maccabean revolt, reminds the Jews of that day when they gained a measure of freedom and autonomy, if um, uh, not free, indep- completely free independence. Hanukkah has been celebrated ever since. Every year there's the Festival of Dedication. The Festival of Dedication took place in Jesus' day. And with it there was the themes of oppression and freedom of uh, good shepherds and false shepherds, uh, true and false Uh, leaders. Imagine the tension and the undercurrents when that festival came around each year. Imagine what it was like celebrating Hanukkah when there is a Roman governor ruling Israel, when there is a king like Herod sat upon David's throne, a high priest like Caiaphas leading worship in the temple. For eight days, the Jews would gather together in the temple and in synagogues and in house meetings. And they would read the Old Testament scriptures. It would take them by surprise as again and again they read the story of God freeing his people from oppression. Of God himself shepherding his people. These words from Ezekiel would be read in the synagogues, in the towns and the villages for eight days. Thank you. 
I will rescue the flock from their mouths so that there will no longer be food for the shepherds. And in the midst of this festival, Jesus walks in that same temple, the temple that was rededicated and refounded by Judas Maccabees. And he says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me, and I know them. His words are dynamite. Look at the reaction of the crowd. Verse 31, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Verse 39, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. We hear the words that Jesus is the good shepherd, and that's a warm and comforting image. We put posters on our walls. We underline the words in our Bible. We make stained glass windows of uh, the shepherd carrying the lost sheep. This wasn't a comforting message in Jesus' day. This was political dynamite. And more than that, it's spiritual or theological dynamite. The rulers, I'm sure, wanted Jesus done away with. He was an embarrassment for Herod. He was an irritant for Caiaphas. He was a rabble-rouser for Pilate. He's upsetting the status quo, and therefore he's dangerous. But the reaction here is the reaction of the crowd. This is the mob. And their reaction is not planned, it's not whipped up, it's visceral, it's instinctive. Why do they react so strongly? We were told in verse 33... We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. I'm more surprised when people say to me, and sometimes they do, that um, I can accept that Jesus was a good man, I can accept that Jesus was a great teacher. But I don't accept that he ever really claimed to be God. I think, really? Well, then why did they kill him? If Jesus is just a good person, healing the sick and uh, freeing the demonized, if Jesus is a good teacher, telling people to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile, If Jesus' political sentiment extends no more than pay your taxes that you owe, then what's the problem? Why did they crucify him? Why did they hang him between two thieves? And the answer, of course, is that Jesus did teach these things, but he he taught more than these things. He also claimed to be God in the flesh. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Other religious figures tell you the way to live. And Jesus says, I am the way. Other religious figures tell you what God is like. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Other religious figures tell you how you can obtain forgiveness. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. 
Other religious figures tell you how you can gain eternal life. And Jesus says, I give you eternal life. It caused division then, and it causes division now. This is what Jesus meant when he said he came to bring not peace, but a sword. When he came to set one against another. Some heard his claims and saw his works and put down everything to follow him. Others heard his same claims. They saw those same works and they picked up stones to throw at him. The verses just before uh, the reading that Karen brought to us. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. This is where Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. Many of them said he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Some thought he was bad, a demon. Others thought he was mad, a lunatic. Others thought that he was who he claimed to be, the good shepherd. C.S. Lewis famously put it like this. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or he'd be the very devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool. You can kill him for a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not have any patronizing nonsense about him being a great teacher. He didn't leave that open to us. He never intended to. My sheep hear my voice and follow me. I give them eternal life. So will we listen to him? In the late 1980s, there was a Palestinian uprising in Israel. And the Israeli army was sent to restore order in the um, uh, villages and small towns that uh, were in the uh, Palestinian uh, areas. One particular village, they were sent in to uh, punish the village uh, because they'd refused to pay any taxes to the uh, governing authorities. The Palestinians, for their part, they argued that these uh, taxes were unjust and that in effect they were paying for the provision of the occupying power that had control over what they saw as their land. It's a complex topic, and I'm not going to get into the politics this morning. I just want to tell you one story of one conflict that happened in those days. A commanding officer is sent into the village, and his instructions are, you are to restore order and you are to get them to pay their taxes. It's an agricultural area, it's quite a small village, and so the um, commanding officer, he orders his soldiers to round up all the sheep that are on the hills around the village and to herd them down into the village square, and they do so. Uh, They set up a, a barbed wire pen, and they put all the sheep in the middle of the pen, and he sets his soldiers to guard the sheep in the center of the village calls together all the Palestinian villagers. And he tells them they need to pay the taxes that they owe. 
And until they pay those taxes, those sheep are going to remain in their pen in the centre of the village. They can't go out to their pasture, they can't go out to uh, their water, they're to remain there. It's a very simple choice before the villages. Pay the taxes and we'll release the sheep for them to go. If you don't pay your taxes, they're just going to stay here in the centre of the village. A standoff ensues and it lasts for a couple of days. Then one morning, a woman and her son come and they meet the officer in the middle of the square. The woman begs the officer to release her few sheep that are part of the flock. She tells him, my husband is dead, I'm a widow, I'm the sole provider for my young son, he's going hungry, we need to bring this to an end, please will you let my sheep go? and let me return them to the hills so that we can get on with our life. I have nothing to do with all this that's um, going on before you. All eyes are on the officer commanding. Palestinian villagers are watching him. His soldiers are watching him. Is he going to back down? He thinks for a moment, and then he points to the sheep pen. And he tells her that there's no way that he can separate her sheep from all the others that are in there. And while she might not have anything to do with the other political stuff that's going on, uh, her sheep are in there in the midst of all the others. And so they will just have to stay where they are until the situation is resolved. The woman answers. Well, if I can separate my sheep out from the hundreds that are in there, then will you let them go? Officer thinks for a moment and then he nods at his soldier and the soldier unlocks the gate. The woman's young son takes out a small uh, reed flute and begins to play a few simple notes, simple melody over and over and over again. All around the pen, sheep's heads just pop up as they look around. They head to where the music is coming from. Young boy and his mother turn around and they walk out to their home, which is up on the hills. 25 sheep make their way through the hundreds and follow them. What did Jesus say? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Friends, we live in a world of a thousand voices and they're all clamoring for our attention. Many of them are teaching us how to, or presuming to teach us how to live. Many of them promise health, wealth and happiness. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, what we call the media, sometimes those voices are deafening. Often they're overwhelming. Whose voice will we listen to? Who will we allow to shape our lives? Which voices will we allow to shape the lives of our children? Friends, we have a good shepherd 
A shepherd who, for the love of the sheep, laid down his life for them. Laid down his life for us. And he not only laid it down, but he took it up again for us. He said, I bring the gift of eternal life, and I offer it to you. His gift is for all who will trust in him. For all who will say along with doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God. Nothing can snatch us out of his hands. Nothing can separate us from his love so long as we're resolved to follow him. To keep in step with him. To listen to his voice and obey his word. Three ways that we can hear and respond uh, to the voice of Jesus. From Psalm 95. Come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts. The Lord Jesus is still seeking out lost sheep and he's still calling them to follow him. He speaks by his spirit to our hearts. And we have a choice. And the choice is we can submit and follow or we can harden and resist. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us not harden our hearts. Today. Today. You don't have to wait for Alpha. You don't have to wait for confirmation. You don't have to wait for a a special course. Today, if you hear the Lord speaking to you, do not harden your hearts, but kneel and worship and adore and say yes. Lord, I want to follow you. Lord, I want to be obedient to you. Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my God. Become acquainted with the shepherd. Why did those sheep follow that young boy? Why did they listen to that melody paid on that simple pipe? Because every day that young boy took the sheep out to pasture. Every day he led them to still waters. Every day he played his flute and he played the same little tune and he gathered the sheep together and he led them uh, to places of rest and safety and places of peace. And those sheep were familiar with that boy and they were familiar with that tune. They spent time with him and he spent time for them, caring for them, looking after them, protecting them. And so it is with the good shepherd. Spend time with him, become familiar with him, spend time in his word. As you spend time with him, as you grow familiar with his words, so you will hear his voice, guiding, teaching, leading. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. God still delights to speak to his people by his spirit. Sometimes in a Uh, just a sense in our hearts, a kind of godly hunch, if you like. Sometimes in an audible voice that we hear, sometimes in dreams, in pictures, in visions, in words. 
Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to reveal himself afresh to you. Ask him to guide you in the decisions that you face. Uh, Check them against his word, of course. Take the advice of uh, Christian brothers and sisters, of course. But God has not abandoned his people. He's not left us in this world without his spirit. In fact, he says he will come to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. The one who stands beside, who speaks to and encourages and strengthens. Uh, different times um, during our church life, we have times where we come together. There are opportunities to um, share with one another what you sense God is saying to you or perhaps uh, to somebody else. And we have one this evening. Um, Hannah is leading a time of worship here at St. Giles at 7.30. Just an informal get-together a chance to learn some new songs, sing and pray together, and also uh, seek what God is saying to us as a group. She would welcome you to come and join in and be a part of that and seek uh, God's voice together. Resolve to follow. Don't harden your heart. Become acquainted with the shepherd and ask him to speak to you through his word and by his spirit. Band are going to lead us in worship as they come up. Our leaders in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, we seek to follow you. We seek to be obedient to you. And Lord, those whom you're calling to yourself, uh, we pray that you'd make that clear. Pray that. By your spirit, you would hammer on the door of our hearts that we would not mistake your call, that we can do no other but open our hearts to you and invite you to come in. And Lord, we pray that this morning, for those of us who perhaps have never said yes to you and never uh, invited you into our lives, that in the worship you would speak to us afresh and give us the confidence to do as the psalmist says and to bow down and to worship you and to invite you in. And Lord, for those of us who've walked with you for many years, Lord, help us to reacquaint ourselves with you and renew our friendship with you. Walk with us, strengthen us, guide and protect us, we pray. For your name's sake. Amen. I'd like to stand. Christina's going to lead us.